Hey everybody, I'm Dr. Andy Rourke and this is the Uncharted Podcast. Guys, the 2020 virtual vet school graduation is coming this Sunday. It's totally free. It's something some of my friends and I are putting on. I'll put the link down below if you're getting this as it's coming out. You can definitely get registered. You can register as a guest if you're not a graduate and you just want to see some good old-fashioned advice and inspiration and motivation and celebration of new graduates entering our profession. It's going to be fun. Got the music. It's gonna just I don't know about this. I think it's gonna be really, really great. I, I don't remember the last time I was so excited about a speaking engagement as I am about this virtual graduation. So anyway, I'll put the link down below. I'd love you to check that out. Big, big, big news gang. The Uncharted online conference is coming. It will be uh, Thursday, June 11th. It's going to kick off. You are going to see Uncharted style. It is going to be the most intimate online event that you have ever seen. Uh, We are working real hard to capture the magic of our conferences where we work in small groups, where we workshop, where we really get to do things hands-on. This is not going to be sitting back and just watching lectures, unless that's what you want to do, because we will have some of those, and you can pick those out if you want. But if you want to get your hands dirty, you want to meet people, and you want to uh, be sociable, and you want to work on things that are going to recession-proof your practice, that is what the online conference is going to be about. Details coming soon. We'll get registration opened up as quickly as we can. But get ready. Online conference. June 11th is the start date. Runs through that weekend. Finishes it up around noonish, probably noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Standard Time on Sunday is when it's going to finish. And it is going to be fantastic. Gang, love to see you there. Details coming soon. Let's get into this episode. And now, the Uncharted Podcast. We are supported by Pet Desk. Guys, I don't think ever in my life has communication been more critical than it is right now. Pet Desk gives you an easy-to-use platform to manage your client communications all in one place, and it gives your clients a five-star rated mobile app to connect with you when and where they want. Pet Desk gives you telemedicine tools like unlimited two-way messaging so you can text clients uh, videos, you can text them photos, you can even text them PDFs. Finally, whenever we talk about Pet Desk, we have got to mention their incredible support team that's going to get you up and going and never leave you hanging. Guys, go to PetDesk.com slash Uncharted and you even get a special introductory offer. Check it out, PetDesk.com slash Uncharted. And we are back. It's me and Stephanie. I ain't as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was, Goss. Is that actually a song lyric? That's a Toby Keith song. I listen to that song all the time. It makes me feel better about my 40-year-old body breaking down. I feel like one good time I could jump on a bull and ride it, even though I never jumped on a bull and rode it earlier in my life. Like, I think I think not. In fact, I think, uh, didn't we see you attempting to ride a bull again in the I it was a mechanical bull, and it doesn't count. <laughs> a real bull would have been more docile than that machine. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I, I don't know. It's funny. It's me on the mechanical bull, or Melanie Kramer uh, covering her eyes, going, "If he dies, we're all out of jobs." Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, Mel was like, um, "Jamie, do we have life insurance on <laughs> him?" We have insurance on Andy. Yeah. 
Oh, man. What's our accident insurance for this event look like? <laughs> Holy Christ. Yeah, good times. Oh, man. Makes me so bad. <laughs> Un- the Uncharted April conference was supposed to be. Right now, we would be, as we record this, it would be the day after, and we would be exhausted and happy because it was a great success. I would be crying. It's not uncharted <laughs> until Stephanie Goss cries. That's, that's kind of the motto. It's, it's not a <laughs> that is true. There's always this like giant emotional letdown. I feel like I'm leaving summer camp and my best friends and and going back to school. Like it's it's um it definitely has an emotional impact when we all say goodbye and everybody starts heading towards home. And even though we say see you later because we're all CE junkies and if we're not going to see each other at another CE event sooner than the next Uncharted we know we'll see each other at the next Uncharted but it is um, it is sad to say goodbye and yes all the pictures have been coming up on social media and it makes me feel very sad but I am also hopeful that we are sliding into the new normal times and um, have hope that maybe we can do something small in the fall and or smaller small in um, the fall small in the fall as people start to figure out the social distancing thing as people start to figure out that masks in public is you know maybe a good idea all those things that maybe we'll have a new normal come fall I i i think we will and in fact i am so comfortable and confident in the idea that we are at least moving towards a new normal pretty quickly that we on Friday, uh, what would have been the first day of the conference announced to the uncharted community that we are going to be throwing down our uncharted digital conference on June the 11th as a Thursday night. We are going to do a virtual anchor ball banquet to open it up. It's a special thing that we've always done at Uncharted, and we I we've uh, figured out how to do it online. And we are going to have the most interactive online event you've ever seen. And uh, we're going to run all day Friday, all day Saturday, and a half day Sunday, just like we do at uh, at our live conferences. And we're um, we're all in. So we are we're going to be launching that. There'll be more details coming soon. It is going to be about bulletproofing your practice, recession proofing your practice, getting ready to regrow as opportunity allows. But a lot of it is going to be adjusting to the new norm and getting your practice to a place where you can be successful. And Steph, you and I talked uh, recently. And honestly, you were so inspirational when we talked about this conference uh, at the very beginning. And the first time we really talked about it, and I was going, I'm having a hard time getting my head around about our why. Like, how do, how do we do this? What's, what's the core? And you said, do you remember what you said? Uh, I said a lot of things. You said a lot. <laughs> You, you like like uh, I was inspirational shout, I was, music swelled behind you in, you in my, my mind. <laughs> you said you said that even if uh, a significant recession comes, there will be practices that not only survive but th- that thrive. You, there will be practices that do better than fine, yeah. and they will do better than fine because they will figure out what the white glove touches are that their clients want and need. They'll communicate better than other practices. They will be there and they will serve and they will innovate and they will do just 
fine. And that that's what I needed to hear. And that uh, you're exactly right. And that inspired me. And I'm like, let's go build something to help people be those practices. And that is what we have tried to build. Yay. Yay. Yeah. I, I, I am excited. I'm excited for April. I'm excited to both, um, you know, being a part of the team and planning the event to really have the opportunity to to serve our clinics and help them figure out what what do they need and how, um, you know, how do they make that happen. But also, um, you know, as a speaker, I'm excited to kind of revamp um, my thought process and think not only about the information that I was already going to share and work with teams on, but, um, you know, how do we, how do we make it more focused and how do we make it more, um, intentional recognizing that teams are in the middle of upheaval and chaos and change and their way of life has radically changed, but there are teams who have really risen to the challenge. There are teams that are still rising to the challenge and trying to figure it out. And so, the best thing that we can do is is be there for um, each other and um, have some fun with it. So I'm super excited. Yeah, you're uh, you'll be working on practice finance in the COVID era, which is pretty freaking amazing. I've never I've not seen anyone doing that. Um, you are such a uh, innovator and a ground setter, and I am so thrilled to have you sharing your knowledge. Oh, and. I've got a plan. I think we're going to be putting out information real soon. This is going to be uh, the most affordable uncharted conference that we've ever done because of right. its online nature. And also because I think this could be really, really helpful for a lot of practices that are trying to, um, to, to deal with where we are. And I really do want to do something and get as many practices there as possible. And so we're actually going to be um, opening this up to the public and there'll be sort of a limited uncharted uh, membership that goes with it and things like that. And we'll get people into our community for a while. And it's just, um, it's going to be really cool. So details coming soon, but if you're not an uncharted member and you're like, God, I'd still really love to go to that. This may be your one and only opportunity to, uh, to, to check it out. Which is super exciting. It is super exciting. Let's do, let's do, a, let's do a podcast. What do you say? Let's do a podcast. I, uh, I like it. I am, I am fired up. I am excited about about this uh, one because I don't know about you, but this weekend was one of those <laughs> weekends where I definitely felt old and broken. <laughs> All I did was sleep in my bed. You know those kind of days where you wake oh, yeah. up and you're like, <laughs> "Oh, I worked in the I worked in the yard. <laughs> I worked in the yard on Friday. I'm like, this is amazing." And, and Saturday morning, I woke up. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't touch my face because my back was sore. All right. Oh man. So we got um, we got a letter through the mailbag, and this one's been sitting in the queue for a while because I really wanted um, us to try and do it justice, and I also think that it's a lot to unpack, and and we marinated on this one for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. And I've heard this question. I, I have been asked this question multiple times. Um, over the years, it comes up a lot and not just in, in this position. So this is going to be another one. I think where people are like, wait, are they talking about me? (laughs) Are they talking about my clinic? Um, but this came from Dr. Concerned and not cold hearted. And, uh, they, I love love that. That's, that's the name Dr. (laughs) Concerned and not cold hearted. Uh, Yes. I love it. Uh, and they said, help. 
how do you handle having an elderly technician who's worked for over 20 years at the practice, but who can no longer do the job? I'm an associate vet and I don't have the power to do anything, but it is so frustrating. My boss claims loyalty and the fact that the clients love this person as a reason to let them stay as long as they want. However, prescriptions are being messed up. Their appointments take the longest to complete and there are physical limitations to what they can do. The other technicians are frustrated. They have to pick up the slack and get certain appointments because of the size of the pet. Overall, it affects the team, but it may be worse if we fire the person. The computer abilities are not there to move them to reception and they cannot be in the kennels due to the physicality of that job. How do you handle this delicate situation? We're a small practice with only 20 employees. I joke that we can make them the greeter, but that's really not an option to pay them to do that. Help, please. Signed, Dr. Concerned and Not Cold-Hearted. Yeah. Okay. I've heard this uh, a thousand times. And yeah, yeah, I I get it at conferences and people come up to me almost every, every event that I go to if I'm sort of taking questions and people, no one asks, no one raises their hand and asks because they don't, they worry about backlash from other people in the audience and they do worry (laughs) about looking cold hearted and things like that. And so, so so I think that's probably why I hear it so much is because no one wants to just publicly ask it. No one's putting that on their Facebook page. Like, Hey guys, what do you do when someone slows down and starts making mistakes? Uh, right. Uh, that, and that's it. All right. So, Let's start laying pieces down. Let's lay a piece down that will hopefully prevent us from getting hate mail immediately. <laughs> and let's just say um, important pieces to lay down, right? This is this is all headspace, right? So we always start with headspace. Look, right. we none of us are getting younger, right? Oh, yes. None of us are getting younger. And we joked about laying in bed the weekend and this weekend being sore. Look, that's that's what it means to get older. Like it mm-hmm. it just does you yes. do not bounce back uh, as fast you do not you know we know that once we hit 50 our natural tendency the way we're designed is to start losing muscle mass right you know um women especially start dealing with bone density issues things like that and that's mm-hmm. normal that's biology that's you're not arguing that it's not a choice it, it's going to happen to all of us right. and so you know start start with the realization that ain't none of us getting any younger we are all moving in this direction. <laughs> and then and then the other thing to put on the table is the golden rule. You know, do unto others the way you would want them to do unto you. None of us want to get booted out of the career that we know or the life that we know. You know, and, and that's it. I um, assume good intent. I get the practice owner claiming loyalty and saying, this person has worked her butt off for us for years and years. And if her body is messed up, it's probably because of the work that she did for us. Right. And so, so being, so jettisoning her and just being like, all right, you're out of here. That does feel awful. And, you know, and there's maybe a good reason why it feels awful, you know? So, so don't, I don't want anybody to think that I'm like, Oh, this is, Let's let's laugh about about people getting older. Like all right, it's coming for all of us, and so let's figure out what is fair and good, and what we would want if and when we're the slowest one or we're the least tech savvy. Because yeah. you know, I already see it. <laughs> There's a, the people are like, "Hey, are you on TikTok?" And I'm like, "Tick what? 
Well, and we don't even need to talk about the fact that my eight and ten year old can use technology way faster and way better than me. I'm my pretty eight, technologically savvy. <laughs> my eight year old is learning coding right now yeah. during the break. Right. And I'm like, no one taught me coding, you know, in school. So um, I know. I know. Yeah. Uh, so I think I think that's I think that there's truth to that. I think the other thing that's really important from a headspace perspective is to really um, acknowledge and recognize that this is a profession that is physically very hard on our bodies, you know, especially for our colleagues who are in large animal and are out there, you know, wrestling with thousands pound plus animals every day. Um, but even as we both know in the small animal clinic, I mean, you know, now now the culture has changed where we are accessing the pharmaceuticals to help make it so that we're not wrestling pets. And we have turned and embraced as an industry the concepts of low stress handling and, and fear free practices. But there were years and especially if this tech has been employed by this practice for 20 plus years, you know, when I started that was not the norm. And we did, you know, if you had a pet who was fearful for a nail trim and the owner was like, I want their nails trimmed, you wrestled them to the ground and trim their nails. And that has a physical toll on your body. And so I think it's really important that we acknowledge that and look at that and look at the role that we played in getting to this point with this employee. Yeah, so I agree with that. And then let me put one more thing on this side of the discussion down. And then we need to talk about the other side of the discussion. And so the last thing on this side of the discussion is um, we don't pay our technicians enough that they can retire. Right. <laughs> but we don't. It's, it's, yeah. it's a problem. We've got to fix it. We've got, you know, we've got to move as a profession. We've got to get to the place where technicians can retire at a reasonable age. And we've got people, it's not just veterinary medicine. I think we all look around and we yeah. see people working later and later in life. And some of that is because we, um, we as a society are living longer and we're taking better care of ourselves and we're staying fit and we're able to do more and people choose to work and that's great. But another part of it is so few uh, Americans at least are getting to a place where they are able to retire at the age that they used to. And so, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's another thing that's true. It's not like this person should just retire. That's not an option for a lot of people who would much right. rather say, Hey, I did my 30 years and right. now, and now I want to just sit at home. Well, sitting at home may not, may not be in the cards. And so yeah. all those things are important to remember in your head. The other side of the issue is this. We have a certain amount of work we have to get done. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we have to get these patients seen. We have like there is a certain amount of tech work that is physical work. And there's no way around that. There's also the the truth of um, we cannot have people sending the wrong medications out the door. Like right. that, that cannot happen. Mm -hmm. um, and we can't put people at the front desk when they're terrible at it. You know, or they it just, we can't have someone at the front desk who's a three and say, mm -hmm. we never would have hired this person from the front desk, mm -hmm. but we mm -hmm. don't have anything else to do with them. At some point, we have limited resources and having people on the team that are not contributing, mm -hmm. they 
cut down on our ability to pay the rest of the team. You know what I mean? Right. If we've got yep. someone on the payroll who's, who doesn't just say that this person doesn't do anything, well, we can't give uh, raises to the other staff because we because we're paying this person. And I'm not right. saying that that's true for every, for everyone who gets older, of course, but just to make the point, if we're paying someone and, and the other thing that often happens here is, and this is another hard part, if you're at a practice that pays on seniority where people get steady raises and things like that, often right. what I see is these people um, who are losing functionality are the highest paid right. uh, support mm-hmm. staff in the, in the hospital. And that can cause resentment uh, as, as well. And so mm-hmm. we, we do have, um, we do have a business problem. We do. Ha- and, and at the end of the day, we are running a business and we've right. got to take care of everybody and we've got to take care of our clients and we care about patient health above all else. And so we have to balance those two things, the compassion for the individual, the empathy that we feel with someone who's um, not able to do what they used to do, because that's going to be all of us versus this is a business and we do have to make the numbers work and we do have to get the work done and uh, we cannot be making uh, medical mistakes that 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 can't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the the last thing for the headspace piece was um, getting in the mind frame that we're going to deal with this professionally. And so the first thought that that screamed into my head was do not get sued. <laughs> like, let's, yeah. let's be real. If you um, age discrimination is illegal and yep. if we are a business that is practicing age discrimination and trying to move someone out of their job um, just because of their age, that is illegal. But when I read through this and kind of sat with it, the the first big question that came to my head was, are are you actually discriminating um, in any way based on age in this this scenario? And I think you could. Um, but I think when you unpack this, and there's there's a lot to unpack here, I, I don't I don't think that this practice would be. And so I think you have to look at the actual concerns here for me. So um, the first thing that Dr. Concerned and not cold hearted said was that prescriptions are getting messed up. And right. so for me, what are those kind of, you know, what kind of mistakes are happening? Right. That's not an age issue. That's a, that's a performance quality control right. thing. So, so let's, I wouldn't necessarily call this part head, headspace. Um, I think this is the first action steps is to say, all right, what are we going to do? <laughs> Don't get sued. We're, don't, we don't get it. We, we need to separate performance from physical, uh, you know, um, uh, age, right? We, we need to do that. So, so for me, um, the age part is I go, well, um, I don't care how old you are. You can't send the wrong medicines out of the, the building, you know, like, like right. that's, that's just, that's just it. Um, the other thing I'm going to say is, all right, um, what is what is fair? You know, like what are our policies as far as performance, meeting standards, uh, not making mistakes, things like that. And so um, one of the big things for me is to start to separate age from performance. And when we have issues like this, uh, that's not an age issue. That's a that's a quality control issue. And we need to go ahead and approach that as such. And and that person, you know, if this is something that we're going to, if we were writing people up for, for making mistakes like that and, and documenting that, we need to be documenting these things and not mm-hmm. necessarily um, because I'm going, oh, we want to get rid of this person. I, I don't want to get rid of this person. 
but looking the other way and not documenting that's a bad choice in my mind so for me the first question is um from from certainly from an hr perspective is how do you handle when mistakes like this are made prescriptions getting you know messed up how do you handle that when anyone else in the practice makes them because that's the first step in looking at things um from an from an equal opportunity perspective taking this employee out of the discussion and looking at it a little bit in a vacuum in that sense so looking at your processes and saying how would i handle it if um you know Andy screwed up or how do I handle it if, you know, Caitlin, my, you know, 19 year old kennel person makes a mistake with their prescription? What are, what are the rules and how are they be, being applied? Because they're applied fairly and equitably across the entire team. And so this person being a senior member of the staff, this person being uh, someone who's been with the practice 20 years, this person being someone who's older than a lot of other team members really has no bearing on that from an HR perspective. So number one is you have to look at how do you handle um, mistakes like this when anybody else makes them. And then to your point, um, Andy, the other two pieces of that are, you know, looking at your protocols and your, and your processes. So, what is your review process for prescriptions, for example? Is is it a case where this person is potentially getting set up to fail because you could make some changes, you know, doing things the way that you did them in the practice 20 years ago? We all know that practice has changed so radically, even just in the last two years, let alone the last 20 years. And so, um, you know, do you have an effective review process in place so that you're safeguarding all the members of your team. We all, we all make mistakes. I remember when I was, you know, just out of college and just started in this field and I filled a medication and I was 100% sure that I filled the right medication. And when I handed it off to my counterpart to double check what I had done, I had inverted one of the numbers and it was a dose that could have killed the pet that I put in the bottle. And it was an honest mistake. And it wasn't that I wasn't paying attention. It just was something that happened. And so I think we have to look at how are we protecting all of our team from making mistakes. There should be in every practice a safety net because we are humans and human error happens. Yeah. No, I, I, com I completely agree. So there's another piece here that comes with the with the writing up and, and the following the protocols. And one of the big um, hurdles in helping someone who is uh, sort of losing functionality or, or they're starting to make mistakes or they're slowing down is the self-identity hurdle where they don't see themselves as any different than how they've always been and, um, and getting the idea around like, hey, maybe I shouldn't be filling these medicines. Uh, that's hard. People don't, mm -hmm. they do not want to think that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to get to that point. Um, mm -hmm. So we do have to kind of help people to see the reality of the situation so that they'll be open to different solutions. If we don't ever say anything and we kind of go on and then we come to them and we want to make some significant changes, this is coming out of left field and mm -hmm. they're getting blindsided. And so yeah. that's another reason why I say, all right, we're going to handle this just like we handle everybody else. And ideally what's going to happen is I want to, I don't, I, I don't, I hope I don't sound heartless. Again, I'm also concerned and not cold hearted. <laughs> 
I wanted to have the conversation with this person, right? I want to get to this point where I sit down and say, I talk to you and I go, Stephanie, we have to talk about what's going on. And you know that there's a problem. You know that you're struggling. I know that you're struggling. Mm -hmm. And then we can say, what, do, what, how do we fix this? What mm -hmm. do we do? And, mm -hmm. and if I can get to that place, then I'm not going, Stephanie, what are we going to do? And you're going, I don't understand what you're talking about. Right. Like right. I am, you know, I am doing everything I need to do. Then I have to convince you that there's a problem before I can talk to you about solutions to the problem. And right. that's, that's why communicating these things as they go. And of course I'm not picking on this person in any way, shape or form. I'm a hundred percent, you know, handling it the way I would handle any other employee. But usually the person that we're talking about um, comes to realize that there is a problem. And I would say that that is the first step in getting a mutually agreeable solution. Get out of my head because you're totally thinking about my next point. <laughs> I'm totally stealing. I'm stealing your you're stuff. You're totally stealing my stuff. No, I because of what I was going to say was that the next the next example that I that they Dr. Concern and not cold hearted gave us that I think illustrates the point that you were just talking about, Andy, where someone could feel like it's coming out of left field was they they mentioned that this technician takes the longest amount of time to complete appointments. And I've talked about this issue with numerous practices, and usually this is a conversation where the person who is the problem has no – is completely unaware that they are the problem. And so right. when they get disciplined or when they get talked to ah. about the concern – it feels like it is coming from out in left mm -hmm. field because they have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. And so my question for Dr. Concerned and not cold hearted is, um, you know, do you, do you guys have an expectation for time? If you do, is it written or is it one of those unwritten rules that everybody's just supposed to know about? But then when you bring it up and talk to them, they always seem to feel blindsided by the conversation. And for me, that is um, a big giant red flag in a manager not doing their job because if I have to talk to someone about any facet of their performance and they are not fully aware, as you were saying, that the com that it's a problem and they feel blindsided by the conversation, I really truly believe that I'm not doing my job. And so I think this is this is a point where we have to stop and say, um, you know, do we have expectations? Are they written or unwritten? And have have we measured the whole team, because if the answer to any of those questions is no, then it gives us a really easy starting point to actually address this concern without it being about, hey, Karen, I need to sit down and talk about the fact that you're slower than everybody else with appointments and not having anything to, to back that up except for a gut judgment or a gut sense that everybody seems to have. Sure. So I will tell you, I have no idea how quick I am compared to the other doctors that I work with. I don't know. I very much tend to stay on schedule unless there's some horrible emergency on top of, you know, my schedule. And right. then, and then like everybody else, I end up in a hole and I feel like I do a pretty good job of getting out of that hole fairly, fairly quickly. You know what I mean? Um, but as I'm seeing appointments, I'm also taking walk-ins. If you came to me and said, you know, Andy, you take more walk-ins than anybody else mm -hmm. because you're fast. My mm -hmm. head would inflate and I would go, wow, yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> and then if you also came to me and said, 
Andy, you take less walk-ins than any other doctor because you're slow. My head would deflate and I would go, oh, I always kind of suspected that in the back of my mind. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, I, have no, I have no idea. Like, I, I get in there and I work, you know? Right. And the other uh-huh. doctors do too. And I bet the techs yeah. do as well. And my techs have no idea who's more efficient and faster. And there is, and, and, and speed is not the only thing because there are right. some techs who are really fast and the clients don't like them and don't trust them. Right. And you know what I mean? And, and just feel that they're impersonal being fast. Right. is not a thing. So anyway, to your point, this is a, this is just a feedback issue of having clear expectations, yeah. letting people know how they're doing, having some specific metrics you can point to and say, Hey, you know, this is, how long these, uh, this is how long it takes the other techs to generally turn over rooms is their average. And this is your average and this is where you are. And just, just having those conversations. But again, you're right. I feel like a lot of times this stuff comes out of left field and the person is surprised by it. And that makes this conversation harder than if they knew, Oh, this is coming. Yeah. And I think this is a really good one where you, you when you sh- do have this conversation you want to be able to have some objective data and so make it a project for the whole team you know if you're concerned about this you have the ability to actually observe it firsthand for yourself and not go off of someone's gut instinct so if you do have a written expectation um then time them all and collect the objective data and really fairly be able to make a judgment call of oh, well, you know, I really feel like um, Marie is way slower than everybody else, but you don't, you don't really know. And you might be right. Your gut is, is often right. But when you sit down and have the conversation with someone, you want to be able to be really objective because maybe what you're feeling is not so far from the truth. And maybe it's a conversation of, hey, you're a little bit slower, but I did also notice that you could do X, Y, and Z to improve that kind of conversation feels far different than just getting told that you're super slow in rooms. And so maybe you should do something else. Right. So the other thing I will say, just to muddy the waters even more, I have seen many cases when people say, look, Marie is so slow. And then we look at the numbers and Marie is getting clients to do more blood work than all the other technicians put together. And I'm like, for God's sakes, do not bother Marie. (laughs) Right. Stay the hell away from her. (laughs) Like, Leave her alone. In fact, everyone quietly watch her. Right. (laughs) That's what we're going to do from now on. But I, but I absolutely seen that. I, and I also think that that's a great point. And it goes to, it goes to speak to, I think, um, one of the things that I know I want to talk about later, which is, um, you know, Dr. Concern brought up the idea of different roles when you're doing some of the observations of these things and kind of unpacking each of the things that you feel like is an issue, you might discover some things that will help you figure out what are you going to do with this technician in the long run? And so let, let's move to the last part of the of the letter itself. So we talked about um, making mistakes. We talked about uh, slowing down appointments. And the last part was the, the physical limitations, being able to, unable to handle big or uh, muscular, yeah. aggressive kind of dogs, things yes. like that, the lifting, the things like that. Um, what do we need to be thinking about there from a management standpoint? So this is this is one of my favorites. I know. Let not- me give it to you because I know how much you love this. 
know, but I'm not going to say it. <laughs> just because, so you know, I, no, I, can, I can see it in her face. I look at her and I see the joy and the twinkle in her eyes. I'm like, she's going to talk about the damn handbook. <laughs> Here we go. Once, for once, it's not, what does your handbook say? This time, <laughs> my, this time, my question is, what does your job description say? So as an employer, your job description here is the best protection that you have for yourself, but also for your employees. So if your expectation for a job, let's say we just take technician, if your expectation is um, that they have to lift 40 pounds unassisted, um, they have to be able to sit or stand for extended periods of time. They have to be able to crouch and get into the lowest cage bank. Um, it needs to be stated in your job description. And the reason why is because you're clearly outlining the expectation from the start with team members for what the physicalities of the job are. And there's nothing wrong with the fact that being a veterinary technician requires you to be able to crouch down and get into the bottom cage bank, you might need to take someone who no longer can do facets of the job. And you may make modifications to that job description for them. That's part of what um, being a good manager is about. But you may also really clearly and easily be able to have a conversation and say, hey, Karen, the job description says this. I know we've talked about this. I know you've been having some concerns about your physical abilities. Let's talk about what we can do to support you and make it a two-way conversation to acknowledge the fact that they are physically not able to do things. That being said, um, because you because you can absolutely move them to another position. You also, if they really can't meet the core functions of their job description, you leave the door open to actually terminate them. And it's not an age discrimination um, termination at that point. It's about not being able to do the core functions of their job. But I think you and I and everyone listening, Andy, knows that you don't have to necessarily be able to crouch down and get in the bottom cage bank to be an amazing technician. There are so many other things that are required core functionalities of that job. And just because someone can't do one or two or even five of them doesn't mean that you have grounds from an HR perspective to terminate them or move them into another to another position. I, I, uh, so I, I agree with this. Um, the, the unfortunate HR truth is, um, if this is going to be a problem and we are having medical issues and things like that, we do want to go ahead and build up, um, an accurate representation of what the real concerns are so that if we do come to termination, we're not going to look at an age discrimination case because it is not about age. It is about right. making mistakes that are making our patients, um, uh, put, we're putting our patients at risk, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so, so we start with that. Let, okay, so, so I want to talk about what we can do because I don't want to let this person go. I really right. don't want to. And right. so let's, let's talk about what we can do there. Now, mm -hmm. before we do this, um, this is one of those areas that is very much about nuance, and so, so there's a spectrum as there often is in life. There's a spectrum at one end of the spectrum. We have a practice that does not pay any attention to, um, Darren who is uh, making mistakes, 
who's been with us for a long time, who people believe is very slow in the exam rooms, things like that. Mm-hmm. We, we pay mm-hmm. no attention to Darren. Darren does everything everyone else does. We act like Darren is 20 years old and just he needs to, um, he's going to keep up or he's going to fall off the cart, you mm-hmm. know, and, and that's one side mm-hmm. of the spectrum. The other side of the spectrum is the whole team follows Darren around making sure that Darren doesn't make any mistakes and we don't right. get anything else done because we're all watching Darren all the time. Right. And those are the two ends of the spectrum and neither of those is sustainable. Neither right. of those is going to work. The path is in the middle. And so I have to say that because I'm going to start talking about making changes. Everyone's going to have to use common sense and say, how far can we go before we go? This is unreasonable. So with the medication checks, Right. Having mm-hmm. medication checks is more than reasonable. Having yep. a person sign off. Most practices end up there. If your practice doesn't do that, it's probably just because you haven't made a big enough mistake yet. And at some point, you yep. probably will. Um, yep. that, that's just that's what I've just seen again and again and again. So um, having someone sign off, that's one thing. Having someone stand and watch Darren count pills, that's maybe an unrealistic mm-hmm. uh, piece mm-hmm. of this. Okay. Yeah. So... Make protocol changes. That was the first thing I, I think that you mentioned. All right. If we're worried about mistakes, what are our protocols to catch mistakes? Because everybody makes mistakes. Yeah. And um, and it may also be, you know, we have this confirmation bias. Once we decide that Darren's making mistakes, every time Darren makes a mistake, right. it, bells go off and we right. all go, oh my God, Darren's making mistakes. But but Carol makes the exact same mistake. And because we haven't decided that Carol makes mistakes, we just, it just, ignore it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. We ignore it. It flies right past us. That's not a conscious decision. That's confirmation bias. Right. I'm looking for proof that my idea that Darren is slowing down is true. And so yep. I'm going to see everything that he does. All right. Yep. So regardless of Darren, are there protocol changes that we can make that will make our practice safer and reduce mistakes. And can we do those? And that may be all that we need is, yep. hey, Darren's making some mistakes, uh, but but they're few and far between. And we're going to have someone sign off on medications. And this is, and then the whole problem goes away. That's wonderful. Uh, yep. Other protocol changes that come to your mind? Um, no, that that was. Um... Well, yes. So the prescription one was the the big and obvious one, but um, the other one for me was, um, you know, about uh, physical limitations is a really good example. So uh, it was my first job description that I'd be able to lift 75 pounds by myself. Um, but we've recognized as an industry that uh, we're breaking our people. And so this is a really good example of where we might um, make some protocol changes and say, any patient that weighs more than 50 pounds has two people that lift it. And it's not just about um, Darren, you know, not being able to lift the big dogs on his own anymore. Now it's about I'm looking at my entire team and making changes to protect their bodies for the longevity of their career in veterinary medicine. Listen, we all need to be running kinder, friendlier, smarter practices. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, If you are going to grow your practice, if you are going to employ a diverse number and type of technicians, doctors, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's Darren who's 75 years old or whether it's uh, Kayla who weighs 87 pounds, right. you know what I mean? Uh, get a yeah. lift table. You know what I yeah. mean? Like it's, it's not about, it's not about age. You know, at some point we go, okay, 
let's like, first of all, let's invest in animal handling. Let's mm-hmm. use positive reinforcement and train on how to do that. Let's get a lift table. Let's work on the floor. Let's do all of these smart things that are going to save our bodies. And yeah. so we should all be investing into making our practices less physically damaging, strenuous, and making life easier. It's not weak to use the lift table. It's smart. Mm-hmm. It's a long-term play to mm-hmm. keep our people active and healthy. And again, animal handling, treats, things like that. Mm-hmm. Protocols, a lot of the protocols, I want to jump back to that real quick. It's looking at where people make mistakes, but we should have a check system on medications going out the door. We mm-hmm. should have travel sheets that move right. with the pet so that things that get done get written down. All the hospitalized patients, they should have a good treatment sheet so mm-hmm. that as soon as someone, and that should be our protocol, as soon as you give this medication, before you give the next medication even, you close the cage door and initial the the treatment sheet that this is done. Right. Right. But just having this idea of like, oh, I'll go give the medicines and I'll remember and then I'll go and I'll put them in the computer. I'll pull the client up and do blah, blah, blah. That's that's not good enough, especially if you have someone who starts to make mistakes. At some point you go, we are going to make it so ridiculously easy. So to to put down what you did the moment that you did it, that mm-hmm. forgetting to put in the computer what you did and the pet getting double dosed on morphine, that's not going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so yep. it is thinking in those systems. And again, this is not about um, about age. This is just about good practices for um, a, a growing practice. And what mm-hmm. I find is a lot of practices, and this, I, this is sort of my, my story that I tell, most of us start a practice and it's a two or three person show. And mm-hmm. then it goes to a five person show. Mm-hmm. And I my belief is purely anecdotal. There is generally a significant change that has to take place when you hit about 12 to 13 employees. Yep. And that is the number that I found. Up to 12 or 13, you can freestyle. And, you know, it's a small enough group. You guys kind of watch each other and you talk to each other. Mm -hmm. Once you cross that threshold of 12 to 13 employees, you start to get groups. It's too many people to really keep up with. Um, it's mm-hmm. too many people to just huddle together with and communicate. 12 to 13 employees uh, is where we need to start looking at um, having good meetings, communication styles that are going to work for everybody, getting things written down, written protocols, all those sorts of stuff. Ideally, those things happen earlier. But what I see is empl- uh, practices that have 15 employees and they're struggling. Why? Because yeah. they grew to that point and they never put those systems in to accommodate the realities of a larger team. And so yeah. – that's as much of a reason to do these things as um, as mistakes of an individual employee, anything like that. I love it. I agree. So, yeah. Um, let me see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Decrease the physicality. Make protocol changes. Um, you know, the the There's two more things I'll talk about. Uh, one of the big problems here in making changes is um, managing the self-identity of the employee that doesn't have capacity they used to have. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and so, um, you know, I, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to think I've seen this a million times. It's, um, there's a veterinarian that I know who I think the world of who is in his seventies and the idea that he is not the same veterinarian he was when he was 25 he just he does not see himself that way. He right. is bulletproof, you know, a uh, country farm boy. 
and he grabs these uh, dogs and picks them up and right, right in front of the technician. And, and again, I think it's a cultural thing. And he's like, well, I'm not going to let a lady pick up this dog for me when I could do it. And, and, and I, I, I know that that's not societal, but you know what I mean? But it's, it's how he was raised. It's how he, it's just how he is. It's who sure. he is as a person. And so, um, I, I, I think, I think the world of him, but if I can't get him to stop seeing himself as the 20 year old vet and see himself instead as the, um, as the, uh, I don't know, uh, as the sort of, um, elder statesman, sage. Of the the sage. yeah. The people, yeah, the sage, the, the, the people that, uh, the person that the clients have known for 30 years and love, right. like that's, that's how I need him to see himself. Right. You are the one that people love and they come to see you're not the one who has to pick their dog up. You know right. what I mean? Right. You're not the one who has to be helping push the trailer out, you know, like right. it's just, you're, you're not that. And so I, a lot of times making people see that is the hardest thing that we have and so having conversations with them getting them to the place of feeling like hey we do need to make some changes but getting them there without making them feel like you're holding us back you're a failure you're breaking right. down you're a burden and i think that terrifies all of us i think the idea of all of us of getting older and becoming a burden on people that we care about that horrifies or that horrifies me yeah, and, and so that brings me sort of to the last piece of fixing this is when we have to communicate with this person in ongoing fashion so that they're not mm -hmm. getting surprised as mm -hmm. we move down this path. And then the last part is, listen, the body does get old mm -hmm. and we might, you know, make, we might get a little bit forgetful, but our knowledge does not go away and our communication skills generally do not go mm -hmm. away, you mm -hmm. know? And so that technician may not be able to clean the, those bottom cages and, and they may not have the tech savvy to, to work at the front desk. Um, we, uh, I've had a, a technician who went from being a technician to more of being an assistant and she, uh, she took all the feline appointments. We've done that uh, of moving technicians over to be a feline only technician and say, you love cats and you're great with cats and your back doesn't have problems when you deal with cats. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. how about we have you just see cats and people go, well, yeah. I never thought of that. I mean, it, it's basic and it's simple, but things like that absolutely can, it, they can work. Yeah. I was thinking about, um, you know, I, I've worked with technicians. I've, uh, been a technician where, um, I love to geek out in the lab. I like order and process. And so, you know, you look, looking at your practice for unexpected opportunities, um, things like, you know, are they, can they jam out on cytology and just read the heck out of things mm -hmm. all day long? Can they be your person who does your phone triage and client service that doesn't involve having to be at the front desk and, um, you know, at a very fast clip, get, get clients checked in, use the computer, do all of the stuff and the things. Are there ways that they can serve your clients without being heavily dependent upon technology. And I think, um, you know, <laughs> our, uh, our doctor concerned and not cold hearted clearly was thinking in the, the right direction, which is part of what I loved about this letter because they were thinking about, you know, the, the greeter position. And I think that that's one of the first 
things that comes to mind because it has been um, something that practices have been created, creating as an alternative job now for, you know, the last 10 or 15 years. But the reality is, is that everybody's individual practice is um, full of endless opportunities. It's just about how you look at it. And so this is where you have a huge opportunity to involve this person in the conversation and feel safe and secure, make them feel like it's not about you saying, I want to fire you because you're too old and you can't do the job. It's about what makes them happy? What are they really good at? I love the idea of making someone a cat only technician because we've mm-hmm. all worked with those technicians who are magic with cats. I mm-hmm. I am not a cat fan. I am I get anxious and worried when I work with them. And so I would be the first to say that's not my awesome sauce. And I appreciate the hell out of technicians who have that magic because I would love nothing more than to turn those appointments over to them so that they can do what they're really, really good at. Um, And so I think it just takes sitting back and involving them in the conversation and saying, what are they really good at? What makes them really happy and how do we capitalize on that as a practice so that this can be a win-win conversation? Yeah, I agree with that. And then the, the last part is the is the part that I, I, I don't like, but we, we do have to say this. You know, at, at some point, we may, uh, especially if we change the job j- description significantly, if we go from somebody who is essentially working as a technician and we say, you're making these mistakes and we can't have you doing the drugs and we can't have you doing these injections. If mm-hmm. you want to continue to be here, you, you're going to transition to an assistant role. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, I mean, you can imagine that's a really hard pill to swallow. Yes. But again, it's not based on age or anything. It's based on performance on documentation yes. of the mistakes and things like that. But at some point we say, we, we, we want to keep you here, but you cannot have this role. And they right. may decide to leave. They may say, I'm not going to do that. Or, right. or they may stay. There may be, uh, we may have to reduce their hours and, uh, and, or we may have to reduce this person's pay rate. Mm-hmm. And again, that's not about anything other than um, we, we have to pay on a level that is related to the job that's done. If mm-hmm. the, you know, if I would like want to have you here, but if all the tech, if the other technicians are doing twice as many appointments and busting their hump, you know what I mean? And, and just their output is so much greater. I, I, and again, maybe this, this is, I know this is my philosophy. People should get paid according to what they, to what they do. You know what I mean? Like, like we should relate our pay to our performance and it's not anyone's fault sometimes that we don't see as many appointments, but it's also reality to say, well, uh, I can't pay you more than the technician who is here early and does everything all day long and is amazing. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. And does and never complains. I like that person deserves to to get as much as we can pay her. Um, yeah, I just I just don't. I guess I the point for this for me is I don't buy into seniority. And again, I want to be fair to everybody in the golden rule, but we may have to adjust uh, pay scales and hours and things appropriately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. All right. You got anything else? No. I think I think that that was it. I think the biggest wrap up for me at the end is. You know, don't overlook making them a part of the conversation because right. I think that they can really help you figure out what um, 
what transitioning to an existing position somewhere else or making up a new role um, for them looks like. And I think that the, the conversation has the potential to go so much smoother um, if you if you involve them in it. I agree. Cool. Thanks for doing this, Steph. Yeah, this is a good one. I hope I hope it helps our uh, doctor concern and definitely not cold hearted. Yeah, I, uh, I really appreciated this one. <laughs> awesome. All right. We'll see you later. Take care, guys. Have a good week. And that is our episode, guys. If you have a question for me and Stephanie Goss, shoot it our way. The email address is podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. As always, if you're getting a lot out of these episodes, if they're helping you out, it would mean the world to me if you wrote us an honest review on iTunes. That's how people find us. Uh, that's uh, how we sort of convince people to give us their time. And, uh, you know, that's how you could help us out. So anyway, guys, be safe. Take care of yourselves. Be well. Keep being the vets and vet techs and managers that our pets deserve. Bye.